0: something scary hiding in the back of your closet. Your bathing suits and summer clothes thing you're pretty sure don't fit anymore. What if there was a way to get into summer shape in one visit? Here's Dr. Brian Strand for Sonobello to explain.
1: It really is quite remarkable. Sonobello doctors use a technology called microlaser fat removal and the results are amazing. We customize your procedure to accomplish your goals. Just share with us the problem areas where you'd like the fat in inches removed. And in one visit, they're gone. Permanently. I can't tell you how often I hear clients say how many years they've been trying to diet and exercise those inches away. And we did it in one comfortable visit.
0: It's time to get your summer on. Visit any of our Sonobella locations across the U.S. And right now, you can save $250 visit sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save. That's sonobello.com slash save. I'm a veterinarian, sure, but I'm way more than that. I am also a tango dancer, a struggling but determined pie maker, and a mom. With IndieVets, I get to choose when and where I work. I create my own schedule and choose shifts at nearby animal hospitals that are right for me. Having that flexibility is exactly what I need to so have plenty of time for all those other things that I am because I'm more than just a vet. Visit IndieVets.com to learn more and apply.
1: Welcome to the X-Zone, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell, and for the next four hours, I'm your host and your guide as together we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the X-Zone. It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And the X-Zone comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern, and then the show is repeated in its entirety from 2 a.m. until 6 a.m. on the Talkstar Radio Network. And the Exome Broadcast Network and our growing family of broadcast affiliates right across Canada, the United States, Central America, the Caribbean, South America, the Pacific Rim, Asia, India, Africa, and Europe. If you'd like to give us a call, toll free worldwide, 1 800 610 7035. That's 1 800 610 7035. Toll free worldwide. My, uh, my email address, exxon at com On MSN Messenger, exxonradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, com. My first guest tonight is Evan Mandary. We're going to be talking about his book, First Contact, an appropriate book for the show. Don't you agree? Well, we're going to be taking a satirical joyride in the tradition of uh, Kurt Von Gutt and Douglas Adams' first contact introduces us to the hyper-intelligent R- Rigelians who admire Woody Allen movies and uh, Bunt Keg hmm, and urge the people of Earth to mead their ways to avoid destruction of their planet. But the President of the United States, a God-fearing, science-doubting fitness fanatic, is skeptical of the evidence presented to him and sets in motion a chain of events that will change the lives of his young attaché, who is an alien, uh, I'm sorry, his young attaché, an alien scam artist, several raccoons, and a scientist who has predicted the end of the universe. Uh, Unfortunately, the parrot sketch is excluded. Joining me now is the author of First Contact, Evan Mandry. Evan, Evan, welcome to the X-Zone. Hi, Rob. Hello. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Uh, I'm a uh, well. I used to be a lawyer. I'm a law professor now, mm-hmm. and um, I uh, I started to write uh, about ten years ago. I, I worked on a political political campaign, the New York City mayoral campaign, and I wrote uh, uh, ostensibly a funny book about it. And uh, I decided I wanted to be a writer, and I started to teach full time. Mm-hmm. And this is my second novel and my fourth book.
1: Tell me why first contact.
2: Uh, Well, I'm a huge sci-fi buff, Uh, Uh so um, it's always in my psyche, Uh, and I guess the starting point for the book was a confluence maybe of um, thinking about George Bush and (laughs) what what type of situation he could have been confronted with where the stakes would have been even higher and how he might have screwed it up even more.
1: You mean he didn't do a good enough job on Uh, 9-11, huh?
2: Exactly right. <laughs> right, I wanted, wanted to give him more more capacity to uh, to direct things.
1: Tell me, from a lawyer to law professor to writing about aliens and first contact—that's quite a stretch.
2: Uh, yeah, I've always had like this yin and yang. I, I actually uh-huh. I did stand up comedy for a long time too. I it's funny my my mom is an actress and my dad was a high school teacher and a high school principal, and I always had this like you know creative end <laughs> pulling at me and. <laughs> this very normal, serious, corporate type, uh, corporate inclination. But uh, I'll tell you, I, I'm lucky in a way because, uh, I mean, I'm very fortunate that I've been trying to, been writing for 10 years now, and it's very, very hard to write fiction and make money. And uh, I don't know what I would do if I were, if I were dependent on my, uh, on my writing income. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm as lucky as anyone could get with it, but no one can make a living out of it unless you're Stephen
1: King. Evan, stand by. You and I have to take a two-minute commercial break. Evan Mandory is our special guest, ExoNation. We're going to be talking about his book, First Contact, when we return to this edition of the ExoN for Tuesday, March the 23rd, in the year 2010. For more information on Evan, visit his website, www.evanmandory.com. The Exo, a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard, will return on the other side of this commercial break as we continue from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the Talkstar Radio Network and the Home Broadcast Network. Don't go away. that's what Evan and I are going to do in the next hour we're going to give people something to talk about Evan Mandry is our special guest he's the author of First Contact and his website is com. All right Evan uh, tell us a little bit about your book and and uh, and about the principles in it and first of all where did these aliens did they did they make a mass landing or how did this no, all happen
2: uh, in my book they're very nice aliens um oh. the uh they, 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 the premise is that they've come to Earth because um, they're, they've made a, a, a statistical calculation that Earth is, um, is more likely than not to destroy itself, and they're, they're trying to be helpful. And um, so as you read in the description of the book, the pre- by the way, it's funny, so I, I, I talk about it in the serious terms, but everything in the book is kind of absurd and satirical. But um, the president is, uh, is very skeptical of them um, for a few reasons, they come, uh, they, they're big fans of Woody Allen and they recreate a, a scene from bananas. I don't know if you remember yes. the movie where <laughs> yes, people do. come they come off, they come off, uh, dressed as, uh, dressed as, uh, rabbis and, mm-hmm. and, uh, Woody Allen's like, I said, call the UN, not the UJA. <laughs> uh, but the president doesn't like it. He doesn't get it. And so he, he reaches a conclusion. He, he, he doubts them. And, uh, in any case, he's a doubter of scientific evidence, and so he reaches the conclusion that they're evil, and that ends up uh, putting the United States or the planet on, uh, on a bad path with them. And um, anyway, it's a lot about, a lot of the, 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 the discussion in the book is mm-hmm. about different worldviews about, you know, um, I think based on our brief exchange that you're probably somebody who goes on, works on the basis of empirical evidence and data, Yes, and the president's very skeptical of it, as as the previous president of the United States was. I mean, it's, it says something that he sent the the country to war, you know, on the basis of praying on something. <laughs> so,
1: uh, a lot of people would call that stupidity, but I wouldn't.
2: Yeah, I, you know, not I, in public. I try, anyway. uh, I try to bridge. I, I, I think my book has a few serious points, and mm-hmm. one of them is to try to find a way to understand that worldview without calling it and it's not my worldview. I mean, I am I am definitely uh, an empiricist. But yeah. the fact is, at least if you live in, in uh, if you live down here, uh, there are more people who think like he does than think like we do,
1: and that's a lot of people. Tell me, as a person, as an occupant of planet Earth, what do you think of the possibility that? Aliens might be zipping in our skies in little UFOs, even though nobody, for the last sixty-three years since the alleged crash at Roswell, New Mexico, has been able to prove their existence.
2: Uh, well, I'll, uh, I'll I'll say what I, I'll say what I want to say spiritually <laughs> as a human being, and then my take on. The oh, episode.
1: okay, certainly, and I respect uh, both views.
2: How, how can it not be true? I mean, it can't it can't possibly be the case that. Uh, we're the only inhabitants, of, the only living inhabitants of the universe. So I, I take it as a given that there is other intelligent life in the universe and given its enormity, certainly other more intelligent life in the universe than ours. And then the question is how long it takes them to find us and whether we would be of interest to anybody. So really, it's just, it's just a question of whether we're at the right moment in time or not, right? Obviously, it's, it's just a question of when it'll happen. Uh, I don't know. I'm interested. I'll, I, I, pro- you're you're more expert than I am. I, I'll I'll listen to your take on uh, hmm. on Roswell. Uh, I I I'm on the side of it was um it was a real crash. I I, I attached a lot of weight to the contemporaneous newspaper accounts. Well, um, but I will say on the other hand, I'm, I think um, conspiracies are hard to manage, and it's yeah. very hard to keep lots of people quiet.
1: You see, my, my theory is is that the, U- the, the, the alleged conspiracy that the UFO community loves to say that the government of the world or the different governments of the world are, try, you know, are, are perpetrating is, is wrong that the real people behind the UFO conspiracy is the UFO community itself. Because as long as they maintain the conspiracy is in play, they do not have to produce any evidence for their claims
2: right yeah, I don't think i i, I love I love conspiracy theories mm-hmm. um, as as stories sure. <laughs> and and then i, I have a skepticism of, um, I, I just think you know you think about how hard it is to keep your uh, you know everybody in your family quiet about something, let alone all of the people that would have to be involved to manage a cover up on exactly. the sides of say what people think with respect to September eleventh now that doesn't mean. That, that also doesn't mean that the truth isn't different than what the conventional wisdom is. And what I'm always very interested in, particularly when you're talking about very recent history, which is much more like journalism than history, which is how quickly the operative hypothesis is formed. And, you know, if you look at September 11th, which was, you know, which has been the fodder for lots of uh, conspiracy discussions, mm-hmm. history was written particularly in the, you know, in the in the age we live in, where information is so readily available, the operative narrative was written within six hours, and it can't possibly be—it can't be possible—to conclusively know something like that in so short a time period.
1: Well, I, I use another example. If the president of the United States cannot have a presidential affair between the Oval Office and the presidential John without the world finding out in the most secure building in the entire world, how in the name of heaven are you going to hide a couple of crashed UFOs and a couple of aliens? It, it makes no sense to me.
2: Yeah, I agree. I, uh, I I think cover-ups are very very hard to manage, and that's mm-hmm. a great example of it. It's um, it's uh, it's hard, but I, I still um, I, I don't think that precludes the possibility that the truth is different than the truth is something other than the conventional wisdom. Uh,
1: you know, I I agree with that. But once again, taking into account today's technology, where everyone has a cell phone, and I would say the vast majority of cell phones now have. Digital cameras and uh, video cameras in them, and still nobody has come up with that all conclusive photograph of a UFO. And as Bill Clinton said to Monica, "Well, we blew it."
2: <laughs> you know, there's a fascinating. Um, you pro- see, so you're you're a skeptic. I'm interested in that. That's uh, you're uh, um, you're a collector of the evidence and uh, and a skeptical or a realist about it. Yeah, you you, know, ha- you have to be. Uh, well, I think so. <laughs> Nobody has to be. I, I think oh. that's the that that's the reasonable position to take. But there are plenty of uh, not everybody. You see, Evan,
1: Evan, I look at myself as a journalist, a broadcast journalist. I don't look at myself as as a woo-woo talk show host.
2: Good. Uh, I think that's that's the that's the that's the place to begin a constructive discussion. Exactly. You know, there's a fascinating thing. Did you read? Um, do you recall in the Vince Foster? Um, Autobiography: What he said about his discussions with Clinton. That no. Clinton asked him when he uh, that Clinton asked him when uh, he took office. He asked Foster to find out the answers to two questions, and it was one was the Kennedy assassination, and the other was Roswell, New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And this very brief mention of it in the book, and Foster says he wasn't able to he wasn't able to answer either of the questions conclusively, which in some ways is easier to believe with respect to Kennedy, because some of that information is embargoed
1: oh i'll tell you something when you talk to people about the kennedy assassination and and you know as as a young man growing up i I think it was in grade four or five when president kennedy was assassinated i you know to me that day will never will never be forgotten from my mind or my heart because i i I thought kennedy was a, a man of well he was a great guy he was a great man and he had vision and you know unfortunately we lost him but when it comes to Roswell, and you, and uh, it, it, once again, I'm, I'm going to drag it over into ufology here for a sec. When you look at all the evidence, or lack thereof, and you've got all these people since, well, Stanton Friedman came out with his first book, and then you had everybody jumping on the bandwagon, and Stanton Friedman, by the way, has never seen a UFO. Um, you, you know, it's... It's, it's hard, especially when you look at the facts as reported by all the different researchers where you had the, the base intelligence army officer go out to the crash scene and apparently he collects some debris, evidence. And what does he do instead of going right back to the base and maintaining the chain of evidence which you as a lawyer and a professor of law... I don't have to explain this, but what does he do? He brings it home, takes it out of the vehicle, brings it to his kids, uh, to his son and his wife, and says, "Look what I've got."
2: Yeah, it's a very unhelpful fact. I recall I recall that part of the story, and of course, each side is going to attach weight to it. When, of course, all you're really interested in is
1: what the evidence actually was. Exactly. Exactly. And and then and then to throw into the into the mix of the the Japanese fugos that were still in the air at that time, and if somebody didn't know the difference of uh, of Japanese writing to Chinese writing to ancient hieroglyphics or or the writings of a little man from Alpha Centauri, how could they not? How could they say with any certainty that this was alien? Of and we know not. for they a couldn't fact say with any certainty. exactly exactly so. Am I a realist? I try to be. Do I think there are things in the sky that people see that they don't identify? Sure, that's why they're called UFOs, unidentified flying objects. Do I think that little green men from different planets or greys have come to this planet? I don't know. I haven't seen any in over the 20 years doing this show. No one has presented me with any evidence
2: There's uh, there's something my book touches on, though. As I said, you know, I'm a huge, grew up, I mean, I watch and read tons of science fiction, Uh and there's something very, um, I think my story and stories like it resonate with people in a way, because obviously, like, you know, you remember from the X-Files, I want to believe, and it's really true. And the question is, what is it in the human psyche that makes people want to believe that? And I think it's a very, it's a very basic existential thing that people want to feel like there's, Meaning and purpose to things, and I think it, it helps in some way to think that there's, you know, more to existence than, than our kind of.
1: But you know lives. what the ironic part about that entire uh, scenario is, Evan? Theology has been trying to give that to humanity since day one.
0: Yeah, so it's, uh,
2: it's, it's it's tapping into yep. it's tapping into the same basic human needs.
1: All right. Stand by, Evan. You and I have to take a commercial break with the news at the bottom of the hour. Evan Mandary is our special guest. He is the author. of First contact com. My name is Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon. And Evan and I will return on the other side of this news break as we continue from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the Talkstar Radio Network and the all-new Exone Broadcast Network. Don't go away, Exxon Nation. We'll be right back.
0: That was smooth, wasn't it? That's how you're going to feel when you get that biggie bag at Wendy's. U.S. price and participation may vary. Includes four-piece nuggets, small soft drink, and small fry. Prices may be higher in Alaska and Hawaii. X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Well, I just got back from Roswell where the aliens have been. And if you ask the feds, the cause, well, they'll only lie again. Now, I'm hunted by the gumshoes, and I'm wanted by the cops, because they think that I might be the guy making circles in the crops. And I know that there's a conspiracy from the voices in my head. Elvis lives, that's clear to me It's McCartney who is dead And if the Mars man should come again And take me, I will go I will take a trip on their rocket ship God bless the UFO Give JFK this message It's the Cuban army's fault And I know that Dave Koresh is alive inside a vault. We've seen reports in papers of a guy who knows about a car that runs on chewing gum, but the Arabs rubbed him out. And we loudly warn that America is badly unprepared. The cold war through we need something new that can get you good and scared you wonder just who is warning you of conspiracies today we're the ones who fill the rumor mill we are the sea
1: mandary is our special guest this hour he is the author of first contact and uh, evan's website is com. and uh, evan did you ever think uh, as you as you were putting yourself through law school and um, you know a practicing lawyer now law professor former stand-up comedian and author that you'd be writing about aliens even though you' you're, you're a sci-fi buff did you think it would come down to this and, and... Uh,
2: I, it's great it's my best destiny I, uh, I, I, I I'm living my my dream I mean uh, I uh, I loved Von, Vonnegut and uh, I loved uh, Douglas Adams uh, yeah. more than anything I read and uh, to be even a small part of that uh, universe is it's a lot of fun for me so uh, I, I, if, I, if I didn't believe in it, it would have only been because I didn't think I could achieve it, not because I didn't want it. I'm, I'm very happy.
1: T- tell me, why do you think sci-fi is still the number one genre? Uh,
2: well, we were talking about this a little bit before, and I, I think there's something so basic. I mean, if you remember, uh, which I'm sure you do, like all of the, the, the positive ways that Star Trek resonated yeah. in the 60s, mm-hmm. and... Gene Roddenberry wrote about this a lot about why why he thought Star Trek such a struck such a chord with people and it was a lot about hope and and, uh, and faith and of course science fiction is is generally a very progressive universe where it, you know I mean I guess it depends on who you're reading but much more aspirational and much more in terms of race and clashes class issues much more progressive I I think it's a vision of a future that's much better for most people, and gives people. I mean, I think there's a lot to what you said, and it also ties into a lot of the same uh, sentiments and basic psychological needs that religion mm-hmm. uh, fulfill, which is to feel like you have a place in things.
0: Yeah.
2: I'm not. Re- I'm not religious, <laughs> and yet, you know, uh, I don't. I'm. I'm like you. I mean, I'm. I'm, I'm sober and skeptical about mm-hmm. the the evidence or absence of evidence for uh, for. For aliens, but we, I, I'm sure what I am wa- sure what I want I want to believe it, you
1: know. You know there are there are so many parallels when it comes to ufology and theology. It's it astounds me that people within the UFO community and people within the religious circles do not see the connection. For example, you've got people descending from the skies like like the like God used to do and the angels and the the, you know, the good and the bad, the grays and, and the benevolence, uh, uh, aliens and and of course the angels and the demons. There are so many parallels. I often wonder if we created the entire UFO phenomenon and scenario because even though theology has been around so long, it just hasn't kept up with the times. And society said we need another way to look at. What theology was trying to get get us to understand, except in more modern times.
2: It's very interesting that you say I'm working on a, I'm working on a short story right now that's gonna be in a volume called The Atheist's Guide to Christmas. So I'm I'll show I'll reveal my cards. I mean I'm not a I'm not a, a religious person. Um, so when I look at the uh, I look at the similarities in the stories the same way that you do, that mm-hmm. I, I can't understand how people don't recognize that at a level of abstraction that the Jesus myth is no different than any of the many other religious myths or UFO related myths that it's just a desire to attach a lot of weight and power to some creature whose existence you can't confirm. So it makes sense to me. (laughs) But of course, if you're in one of those groups, you're completely invested in the correctness of it. So it's very hard to take that step back and, you know, and look at it abstractly and say, Oh, I'm just situated in a different myth, even though Mm -hmm. it's a myth. Um, A
1: lot to ask of people. Sorry. And and in today's society, it seems that people who do not fit any other... I'm going to get my foot shot off for this one. But if they don't fit into any sociological category, or they're not accepted by different peer groups in society, they find themselves in the paranormal. Because everybody fits in there.
2: Except, I, I would agree with that only, and you'll probably agree with this modification. It's just that if you are uh, a deeply believing, and and I apologize if I offend uh, if I offend uh, anyone in your audience, but if you're a deep believing Christian, you're just situated in a different version of paranormal or a different mythology. Oh. And then I guess if you don't fit within one of those boxes, you find yourself you find yourself in another one, and and belief in you know in extraterrestrials and paranormal is just this. But this is actually very. This is very well documented in, uh, in sociology and psychology mm-hmm. in terms of uh, the sorts of people who are going to be attracted to these, uh, to these types of belief systems.
1: And, and there's just not one belief system because in the paranormal universe... I can't believe I use those two words in the same sentence. But anyway, you, you've got the Ghostbusters. You've got the Bigfoot hunters. You've got the lake monster hunters and believers. You've got the the people who have been abducted by aliens and suffered the the uh, the examinations of anal probes. You've got the people who have been abducted by aliens who have had their fetuses removed. The expecting mothers have had the fetuses removed from their bodies, allegedly. I've talked to a couple of people over the years who swear to God, now there you go, they swear to God that they were actually teleported to a UFO that is in orbit around Jupiter that is over 300 miles in diameter.
2: Yeah, I've read some of the teleportation stories too. I, um,. I mean, the first thing which is interesting is when you say, like, all these different categories, well, you know, there are Presbyterians and Baptists and Buddhists and Hindus. And Christians there you go. And, uh, you know, there are different boxes, and it it's, and it's it'd be very, very interesting to try to study this in a systematic way. But, of course, the predictors of which box you end up falling into, I mean, when it comes to religion, it's largely determined by your family. Mm-hmm. And I imagine when it comes to these boxes, it's also similar random, similarly random things like which story you've heard that ends up kind of filtering into your conscience, um, subconscious. Um, but yeah, it's, man, it's very, it's very, very peculiar. Now those, um, if you've examined, so I'm just interested in the teleportation stories mm-hmm. for a second. What do those people say? First of all, had they ever heard those stories beforehand? Definitely. They, believed, uh, they had. Def- so.
1: Definitely. They've all heard these, of these stories before. And uh you know, could they, you know maybe they're out of body experiences and uh, and they just haven't uh, it may be a dream and but once again they they come back with these stories without any trace evidence now how uh, can you I get an enal probe you, that, the... you
2: ever met anybody who had any evidence of no anything? sir. I mean, what are they they must they must claim that they have evidence, right? I mean, they don't just say, I have nothing. So they, claim, they they would cite their memory as evidence. But do any of them ever offer any physical evidence?
1: Well, some may have little marks on their body that they can't remember getting. But, it, you know, who knows? I, there's many times I'll get home at night and my wife will say, where'd you get that bruise? I don't know. You know, right. and, and I know for a fact I haven't been abducted by aliens. And if I did, I wish they'd let me know because I'd certainly like to have a conversation with them. You know, I, I say, well, what did it what did the surroundings feel like? What was the temperature? Were there any smells that you could associate it with? Did you did you try to touch it? Did you try to steal something and bring it back?
2: Well well let me ask you this. So sure. now that I, I feel I've gotten to know you a little better. Sure. So you've obviously been exposed to heaps and heaps of people and information that I would find interesting, if not persuasive, certainly interesting. Definitely. Was there ever somebody that you Encountered uh, in person, or you know, in one of these sorts of interviews, mm-hmm. where you had a moment and said to yourself, "Hmm, I think there might be something there."
1: Travis Walton.
2: Who's, who's Travis Walton?
1: Do you remember the story "Fire in the Sky"? Sure. Uh, okay. His the 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 lead character is Travis Walton. There is something in that story when you've got all the the members of this uh, forest uh, forest cutters or uh, these loggers who passed a lie detector test. Travis Walton could not be found for a number of days. He shows up in Herber, Arizona on, I believe it was November the 11th, naked, calls uh, calls somebody up. They come and get him. And ironically, on November the 11th, there were weird, strange radar trackings from Arizona up to the Great Lakes uh, where Air Force radar had detected UFO activity. Unknowns sent up fighters from Sethridge Air Force Base near Detroit as this UFO or whatever it was, was targeted over Lake Superior in the approximate place where the Edmund Fitzgerald sank under suspicious circumstances. Now, when it comes to the Edmund Fitzgerald, uh, no bodies have ever been recovered and in none of the life rafts. You know, so, so is this coincidence? If it is, it's one hell of a coincidence.
2: And so, there to you, what separated that story from the others was that you felt that there was like a confluence of, of circumstantial evidence. Exactly. Yeah, that's interesting. Exactly. Um, I have to go back and reread that uh, read that story. Uh, I mean, I, I'm certainly I, I, I'll say this. I'm sure if you're telling me that, that it it's going to be. I'm going to find it compelling reading. There's no question about that. So. Um, you know, but
1: when it comes to people who have had uh, regression hypnosis, I give that no credibility whatsoever. I
2: do you remember uh, Carl Sagan wrote in? Um, it, it's not in it's not in Cosmos. It's, it's in another book at the end of the book, and he was talking about. He said he thought there were three, and I think he characterized them as paranormal phenomena that he thought were worth investigating. And one of them was past was actually past life regression, and it's. Um, uh, you know, it's interesting. I I, I don't I don't say mm-hmm. say this at all as a believer. I uh, I would say I'm only a believer in his. Credibility and right. as, as and as, as it being worth uh,
1: investigating. Well, l- so. let me let me put it to you this way. Over the years, I've talked to many people. You know, like I do the show five nights a week. There's four guests a, na- a night. That's uh, twenty guests a week, eighty guests a month, and I've been doing it for twenty years. Quite a few guests.
2: It's a lot of
1: guests. And when you talk to those, when you do shows on past life or regression, and you get five or six who claimed to have been Cleopatra. Yeah. Now, how can you have five or six different people being the same person?
2: Well, I mean, this one is... The interesting thing about this is this one is testable. I mean, if mm-hmm. you have... Um, you know, if you're a three-year-old certain questions and the three-year-old's able to give you information that they couldn't possibly be in a position to know... Now, mm-hmm. I can't say to you that there's ever been an example of, of this, but whereas you know, it's at least susceptible to proof, whereas teleportation to Jupiter, unless you've got a unless you've got a fast-moving spaceship that I don't know about, you're not going to be able yeah. to verify it. But, you know, if a three-year-old could tell you a detail of the Battle of the Bulge that he or she couldn't possibly know, well, that would be pretty convincing evidence. Anybody ever give you anything like that?
1: No. Okay. I-, I agree with you. That would be interesting. You see, I, too, want to be a believer. I really do, but I want... You know, I in, do you remember that Wendy's commercial with the old lady saying, "Where's the beef?" Of course. That's what I want. Uh, Clara Clara Peller was her name. We ran a contest where we offered 1 million dollars and this is going back uh, to I guess what was 1997, 1998 when a $1 million dollars was really worth a million dollars to anyone who could bring forth or send to us proof of alien existence or proof of a UFO. Man, FedEx would bring us box after box after box of stuff. We had people who would take motherboards and uh, solder stuff together. We had flying tin cans, you name it. No proof. No proof. So, am I a skeptic? I'm a realist.
2: Well, you know, there's an epistemological question, too, which is, and I'll say this as a lawyer, proof is proof is a subjective term. I mean, mm. it's, it's a question of what the quantum of proof that you're going to re- require is. And um, there are some questions that are just not easily provable. So you, you're you operating in a domain where, you know, conclusive proof is just going to be hard to obtain. And and that doesn't make anybody uh, right or wrong. I mean, I, I, I'm entirely sympathetic to your views. I'm just saying, um, you know, I mean, if you believe in God and I say to you prove it to me, well... Yeah. You're not gonna be able to prove it to me. But of course if I say to you God doesn't exist and you say prove it to me, I'm probably not gonna be able to prove it to you either. There you go. Uh, so it's just a question of where you're gonna set the default, where the uh, you know, where the presumption of where the presumption of innocence, where the presumption is gonna be.
1: Counselor, please stand by you and I have to take yeah, a commercial yeah, yeah. break. <laughs> Evan Mandry is our very special guest, Evan. We're going to have to have you back on in the future. It's great chatting with you. Evan's website is www.evanmandary.com. He's the author of First Contact. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break as the Exxon continues right here on Talkstar and the Exxon Broadcast Network. We won't question why. The ground beneath your feet is flashing red and white. And welcome back everyone. Evan Mandory is our special guest, he's the author of First Contact. His website is www.evanmandory.com. That's E V A N M A N D E R Y. That's E V A N. Let me try this one again. E V A N M A N D E R Y.com. And uh, first of all, Evan, I, I want to thank you so much for joining us. It's been a it's been a great hour. The time has just flown right by. But I have to ask you at this point what do the several raccoons have to do with your story?
2: Uh, there's lots of, rant, you know, <laughs> our conversation has been so serious, and uh, yeah. I believe a lot of the subtext to my book is serious, but superficially it's all funny, and basically uh, raccoons reappear several times through the book, and when the President of the United States uh, launches this mm-hmm. mission, this attack against the alien planet, uh, it's basically thwarted because uh a raccoon stows away in the compartment of the nuclear, where the the chamber where the nuclear armaments are contained, and he eats through these uh, the wiring, and uh, it leads to the crew having to release the uh, the nuclear missiles uh, manually in a way, sort of like Doctor Strangelove, uh, you know, the end of Doctor Strangelove, yeah, wow.
1: uh,
2: anyway, it's a joke. It's all a joke.
1: Tell uh, me if if you were driving on a highway, let's say later on today, and. It's about 11 o'clock at night. All the traffic seems to have petered off, and you're the only vehicle on this highway. You're driving along, and in, this, in the distance, you see this this object in the middle of the road. And as you get closer, you see it to be the classic UFO. You stop your car. A door opens. You get out of your car to investigate, because after all, you're a cool guy. And you think, him hey, could be a book in this. The E.T. or the occupant walks over to you. What would be your first words?
2: Oh. Gosh, I'm going to I'm gonna think about that for one second, and I'm going to tell you something else, though. So, you know, I used to think about this question a lot when I was a kid. And I used to love, I don't know if you've ever seen a show called Doctor Who, but I was yeah. a huge Doctor Who fan. I always used to say, well, if Doctor Who comes, I'm going with him. But we just had a baby, and uh, I'm not going anymore.
0: So, oh, congratulations. Um,
2: <laughs> well, I have to hope the guy speaks English. I probably would extend my hand and uh Shake it and say, hi, nice to meet you. I, I, my inclination, and the aliens in my book are very much like this, would be to treat the alien like I would treat everybody else. I would not presume that they were sinister. And, um, uh, you know, if they're there, I'm going to think that they're probably interested in meeting me, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to worry about it so much. I'm just going to be nice, that's all.
1: All we can do <laughs> is hope welcome. they look like Robin Williams and say, nanu, nanu, shazbud.
2: Well... Yeah, we could do better. I'm, I'm, we could do better than the Morca uh, the Mark and Mindy, uh, <laughs> the Mark and Mindy version. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I maybe this is naive, but I, I, I don't see any reason to believe that if it ever happens, that it's going to be a hostile encounter. So yeah, neither I would, do I. I'd welcome it.
1: Yeah. Evan, I want to thank you so much for joining us tonight. It's been a great pleasure talking to you. Tell our listeners how they can find out more about you.
2: Uh, first of all, thanks, Rob. Likewise, it's pleasant. Very, very, very nice talking to you. And, uh, yeah, my website is uh, www.evanmandery.com, and I have uh, my novels are up there, and uh, I have uh, I do a lot of research and writing on the death penalty uh, in my legal career, and uh, they can find that all there, too.
1: Evan, take care of yourself, and once again, congratulations on the new addition to your family. Thanks very much. Explanation, Evan Mandry has been our very special guest. He is the author of First Contact. Once again, his website is www. EvanMandary.com. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break at six and a half minutes past the hour as the Exxon continues live and around the world from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the Talkstar Radio Network and on the Exxon Broadcast Network. We'll be back on the other side of the news. Don't go away.